Uh, one thing that I was looking forward to is also to come is also to to get feedback for your impression of what what I just explained and even if you are the first time you are hearing about this topic of artificial intelligence in a little bit more detail, I would be still very happy to know what you think or or what your impression is about this first view about the age of artificial intelligence that I explained the in this part. So, so any question, be technically about where we are or what you think would be, you know, now it's time to share. Um, you were talking about the value alignment problem and I wondered whether there was any um, dimension of looking at wisdom in making decisions, which is more com can come into the moral dimension. And there doesn't seem to be much of that with this particular, you know, with artificial intelligence, at least not yet. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the, as I said, the, the, this value alignment problem, as it is now discussed in the community, and it's getting, because of these voices and these famous uh, scientists that have voiced the risks, and uh, because also because many AI scientists think that it is possible to achieve this uh, superhuman intelligence. Because of that situation now, there's a lot of discussion about uh, this value alignment problem, how, how values have to be put into our research. Um, there's a whole area which is called value-based design, where you design a system thinking on the values of the communities to which these um, technology is going to be applied, and so on and so on. But what I wanted to, to stress in this part of talk is that it is a very conceptual level of talk about the, of the values, in terms of something still values thought very much in the head, a system of values, how are they are conceptualized, how are they are related, and so on and so on. So this wisdom dimension that you were mentioning it's not that what is still is touched in this area. And so, so we may think about, I mean, there are these famous, um, there, there was this, um, these famous rules given by Isaac Asimov about robots, that a robot should do everything that what a human said, he should not harm a human being, and so on and so on. So this would be certain values that we should program into the system so that uh, we are sure that, uh, that when we deploy the system they will not do things that we don't want them to do. That's, this is the kind of discussion that is right now in my field. But it is, again, in a very... Well, academics and me myself, we are very comfortable in, in the, with talking about concepts, and <laughs> conceptualizing things and... Uh, and, but uh, the, the, how these values touch us and feel, uh, move us and uh, the wisdom that is required is something that is still uh, lacking and which must be addressed, I think. And I, the same things that I will mention this afternoon as well. Thanks, Marco. I think it's quite interesting. It makes me <laughs> work on my mind. It actually makes me think of subject I used to study in the university, the philosophy of knowledge, which is more than 30 years ago. And, and I, I was wondering, 
but you said there's this all these whole thing conceptualization of human values of thoughts and the, it, it, I mean but it's based on the assumption that human is rational and autonomous but is that true I mean I, I have some, some doubts on that well this this is um, as I said the the field of artificial intelligence arose in the in the mid fifties of last century, and within this context of uh, Anglo-American analytic philosophy, and there, the no in, in this philosophy, the notion of rationality is a very disembodied notion of rationality, in the sense that you can and and you can even make mathemat mathematical models of what it means to be rational, and this is what is used in artificial intelligence, and this mathematical models is. As I explained, you have certain uh, certain preference measure, very simple examples like those of playing chess. There's a, there, are, there are certain positions in chess which are more valuable than others, and then you put numbers. You take these values, then conceptualize as numbers, and you put numbers to these values. And obviously, winning the match has the highest. Uh, value putting the uh, uh, the king in chess in, uh, what do you call the position checkmate is also very high value and so on so so all these you can mathematize and then you make and then you you use these mathematical theories to uh, maximize the best um, outcome and to choose the right uh, action to do but this has in, in, in recent research in cognitive science is uh, challenged a lot. Precisely what in cognitive science right now they uh, claim is that reason is very embodied and our conceptualization is very much dependent on our body, body experience with the world. And uh, it cannot be, uh, it's not a disembodied thing that we can uh, Think about independently of how we live with our with our bodies, and that's the that's the reason why even very each the abstract concepts that we construct we construct them based metaphorically based on our experience uh, in the world. Okay, and this is in language. This is very uh, evident when we say, "Oh, today was a big day." Uh, or today is a big day. Days are not big, they are not small. I mean, days, it's, it's metaphorically. And, and, and these metaphors that we use is because as, as childs, as babies, we think that we're important, we're big. And, uh, and then uh, we conceptualize important things as big. And then these metaphors, we translate, we use them to describe these most abstract domains. And the same with the mind, and the same with intelligence, and so on. So to answer your question, no, rationality is not, or we humans have, a, the rationality that we humans have, or intelligence, is not as simple as these models that we use in the, in the machines. For certain areas where you can have these mathematical models, it is very clear, and then for playing chess, it is very clear. We can say when a machine is more intelligent than a human being, or when, when 
classifying images or in driving an autonomous car or we can if we have we can say when a machine is more intelligent but it's a very limited notion of intelligence a very metaphorical understanding of rationality of intelligence that is then easily mathemat um, uh, formalized in a mathematical model and implementable in a computing machine so that's but it's not um, obviously I think the notion of rationality is much richer of intelligence than what captured with these models okay can I uh, just may anticipate what you're going to say this afternoon but I was thinking as you were talking how could we make a distinction between the human rational autonomous being and uh, artificial intelligence. And I'm wondering whether what you think of this distinction between a being, an entity, you talked about an entity, you could have a computation, computational entity. Well, the entity comes from the word ends, being. So could you say then, for example, uh, a, what makes a being different from an existence is the knowledge uh, of its source. So a computer is in existence because it, it could know exactly who made it, when, and when it was modified, and so on. It would know everything about its origin. Whereas a human being does not know and cannot understand its source. That makes sense? It makes sense, but what exactly want you say with this experience? Well, the point is, it gives us a, it gives us a, a, a solid, maybe not, but it gives us a solid uh, criterion for distinguishing between human and artificial consciousness or intelligence. That the human cannot know its, we cannot know our source, the source of our intelligence, whereas the computer can always know its own origin exactly. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't. The thing is, this, do, do, yeah, like a criterion to distinguish between a, a human and a machine, you say. Probably this is a good criterion, better than the ones that are usually described in our in our field. Yeah. The famous one is the Turing test. The Turing test was, uh, was first described by Alan Turing, who is one of the fathers in, of uh, modern computational theory. And, um, and he devised the following test. In, let's close a computer in a room and a human being in another room. And uh, we have another human being who talks with these two uh, with a computer and with a human through notes written in paper through a, through a slot. And he has to figure out who is your human and who is the, the computer. If a computer passes the test in that it is, it is only chance, it's the level of chance that you decide which is the human and which is the computer, then it has passed the Turing test. And then we can say it is as intelligent as the human being. But again, what, what intelligence does this measure? 
it's very based on behavioral, it's a behavioral analysis. It doesn't go that deeply into the notion that you just mentioned. So, so depend, again, what we say if a computer will be, will have a mind or will be intelligent or not, depends very much of what we understand what intelligence is, what a being is, what mind is, and this is a, and uh, here's where the whole confusion arises, because you probably have a, not the same understanding of what a human being is, when you're talking at this level, that what um, Alan Turing had when he was presenting this, uh, this test. So, 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 so that's why these kind of questions are very difficult to answer because everyone thinks at a different metaphysical level. Um, when you're talking about uh, rationality and it being the, and the way uh, artificial intelligence is talked about and researched and it's very Anglo-American, uh, what is happening in, the, in other parts of the world, in the non-Western parts of the world? Are they involved in artificial intelligence and is their way of doing it the same as the Western way? Um, the, uh, since the field has uh, arisen in this, in this uh, paradigm and in this philosophical thought, mm. uh, although it has evolved a little bit over the years and it's not exactly as it was in the beginning, it is dominated by this, uh, by this, uh, by this model and this, by this thinking about uh, rationality and about reason. So even I'm not very familiar with uh, the, the the research that is done outside the Western culture because uh, again AI has evolved more in that area and the big universities and research centers are there. But as what I see is coming now in emerging countries like China, with a lot of where a lot of research is coming, is in is in the same paradigm, the, the kind of research that is done of artificial intelligence. Mm. I think it has to. I mean, I I I think AI research will have need to to take other understandings of intelligence and rationality into account in the future, and I hope that it will. But right now it is, it is, it drags with it uh, a, a form of understanding intelligence and rationality which comes from, from this philosophy. Um, I was thinking actually also when you referred to values and the importance of uh, bringing values into it, that uh, you know, I was wondering if, if Eastern philosophy and Eastern thought had, would influence that. I mean, it, it seems to me that it can't just be Western values, that it would have to think more globally. And then you have, uh, on the surface, different values. I, um, another thought came into my mind. If artificial intelligence really goes into values, uh, are they likely to discover that underneath, because I think the way people express values, and I think this is often at the basis of, of wars, is that they're actually uh, not going deep enough into discovering what those values are. 
is artificial intelligence then likely to reveal the depths underneath if they really go into values? Well, I, I, I definitely agree that uh, the scope of the notion of value has to be broadened and we cannot stick in the, with, with a Western approach of it. But uh, what, maybe it would, be, it would be disappointing for the talk, it will be very disappointing in the talk of the afternoon because I will not provide any solution of how we should use values or what we should do, how values have to come into artificial intelligence, because I don't know. I really have no answer to that. I only see that the way it is done now, and sticking on a very Western, philosophical, ethical view of, of values, conceptualized, and put again into a mathematical model, etc., etc., is not, it, it's valuable, it is it's a good step, but it's not the step that will solve it. So, so I think artificial intelligence will have to um, be done in a different way, I don't know how, and I don't know if we, we can call it artificial intelligence anymore, I don't know, but the way we will have to integrate technology that's what I want to explain a little bit more this afternoon. The way we'll have to think about how we integrate technology and how we shape our societies with it, we'll have to draw from the wisdom of, that we have in all our traditions, and particularly in the contemplative tradition. That's what I think. But, uh, so. Is there a distinction between intelligence and consciousness? And I ask that in, in terms of, I think it was Max Tegmark who said that, or suggested that uh, consciousness may just be a, another state of matter. Mm -hmm. Well, usually uh, in AI we avoid to talk about consciousness. Again, because it's, an, uh, it's again an, a concept that has many different understandings. And uh, it depends again on the worldview or the metaphysical worldview that one has about what, what consciousness is, what matter is, if there, there is matter or not, or if one has a dualistic viewpoint or not, or a monistic one or reductionistic one, and so there are so many different kinds of approaches to that, that, um, that again, when, when the AI researcher does, is only um, worried about implementing a good algorithm that maximizes utility in the decision-making that this agent does, and this is how it understands rationality intelligence, and it doesn't care about if it is conscious not, or not. So, and I have no answer myself. I'm not an expert in, in consciousness studies, and I, 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 I also try not to get into that um, topic, because I think that is, well, at least in my field, because this is what we... Um, but, uh, but we, are not, we are not worried in AI about if the system is going to have consciousness or not. And even Stuart Russell and the, these people that are thinking about the value alignment problem, they don't think about 
uh, if this system will have consciousness or will not have consciousness or it has, it has evolved enough to have consciousness. They are only worried to see. They are acting in a particular way. They are acting that we think it is intelligent because it does certain tasks better than we do. And we should be sure that they do it the way that we want them to do it. And that's it. They don't go into this problem of, of consciousness. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if this answers your question. Um, I'm really impressed by realizing how many sides to these issues there are. And something that comes to mind in terms of sides, angles, is the why question. I haven't seen uh, the why question in AI. So why, why do we need AI after all? And uh, the why question is probably not too much related with intelligence, but uh, maybe more with the wisdom of the heart, which is at a different level, at least to my understanding. I meditate regularly, and uh, after meditating, uh, everything that the mind uh, is, is, is worried about and is busy about is clearer and the why question is answered more easily, like, why, why should I now uh, do this? Maybe I, I don't need to do this. And after meditating, I decided I won't do this, for example. So there's, um, I see a risk in AI to make intelligence an idol, forgetting about other uh, aspects of being human, of, for example, why, why shouldn't, should we add to it compassion or, you know, other properties that, you know, make life good for us? So, to me, um, yeah, I, I see in the evolution of artificial intelligence this disenfranchising from just intelligence. It's just we we can be more ambitious and, you know, um, just make sure that we, we factor in other important things. Um, so that's what, come, what comes to mind. Well, the most uh, AI researchers and practitioners have a very clear objective of why they are doing AI. And, it is, they, and it is framed in these assumptions that I said. They think they want to have systems that are more rational to solve problems better. It has a very problem-solving approach. And, and, uh, and, that's, and that's the end. And, uh, if I can have a better system that does better medical diagnosis than it's worth to, 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 to investigate to have this system because then we can maybe diagnose better certain uh, uh, certain pathologies. Okay? So, so there is a clear objective. It's always framed in maximal utility, maximal or performance measure that we can, can improve. As I said, there's, there's sometimes also very, uh, sometimes there are certain religious narrative in there. My researchers would probably say we are not religious, but there are certain religious narratives in certain aspects. 
like those that think that with AI we could reach immortality, for example, in the sense that I can be able to download my mind computer, and then if I dies, no problem, I will continue being in the, in the internet and the cloud living there. Okay? These very extreme views also exist. Some of them are incredibly well-funded, these kind of views, and I, I'm always surprised about it. But this kind of human quest of having immortality seen as permanently living in the in the in the internet cloud, which I don't think is very. Uh, I, don't, I don't look forward to that. But anyway, um, some of them thinking it's something that is worth to pursuing to improve us to improve our intelligence, to improve ourselves as humans, to be more intelligent, to even merge humans with machines, and so on and so on. These views exist. And, uh, so there's another why question, it's also that. Okay? But, um, but as I said, uh, there is another level missing there. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's really just uh, uh, an observation, something to put on the, on the table. Um, I'm coming at this from, uh, well, I originally trained in Anglo-American analytic philosophy, but I now work on Evagrius, the fourth century desert father. And from the point of view of the desert and the Greek fathers, the paradigm of perfect normative rationality is Christ, the Logos. And so in that you have the idea that you cannot separate love from rationality. Perfect rationality and perfect love, you know, they meet in the Logos. And so with that, the whole idea of obedience to the will of that which is greater. So that's one part of my observation. The other part is that within that same tradition, um, rationality and love are embodied. The only being who is not embodied is God the Father. So perfect rationality, perfect love are going to be embodied in the body that, um, that the apostles saw at the transfiguration and the resurrection body. So this is a body that embodies the fleshly body. So that tradition would have it as a body of um, imperfect rationality. But that's all I wanted to put on the table, just the idea of Christ as the paradigm of rationality and the essential embodiedness of rationality. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, uh, it, I, as I said, I, I'm much more familiar with the scientific field, but when I started to get in touch with, with for example, these, um, these um, expressions that you mentioned from the Desert Fathers or from Evagrius, they strike me as so much richer than what we scientists were doing with our models. Okay. So much richer that, um, that, uh, that then one understands why scientific models may be very successful in certain things, but completely unsuccessful. And uh, that's why I was continue to be surprised that 
such famous uh, scientists have a view of what can be reached by missing out so much depth that is there that will not is not captured in the models that we are working with so and will not be able to be captured in any model at all and can only be talked in a poetic sense like you just mentioned about uh, about this with, with, with poetic symbols or figures or, or notions that are beyond the, uh, the scientific modeling and um, so yeah I mean it's thank you Um, I was very taken um, by this notion of metaphor and um, it made me think about new wines, new wine and old skins in a way and are we really in a, in a, so a period of transition where we actually haven't developed enough metaphor to embrace what we call artificial intelligence. So the question is, um, is it actually artificial intelligence? because it's still humans who are <laughs> developing the algorithms and, um, and is it a bit like, you know, we can go faster because we're in a car, um, we can now go fast because we're creating systems that can, can work um, autonomously. Um, and should we, I mean, are we buying into the hype of fear and there's a sense of separation and I, I loved your picture of the hand, of the artificial hand and the, and the human hand. Were we to step forward and embrace this, um, could we create a different narrative around it in the sense of seeing it as an agnostic system um, where I, I mean I, I, don't, I can't even conceive of how we could put a mind into it if we don't even know how our own minds work. I mean we know that we have a mind in our head, we have a mind in our heart, we have a mind in the gut and we don't, haven't even figured that bit out, let alone how we put it into a computer. Um, so would it be possible that this will actually stimulate something completely different which is two things. One is a sense of our deep interconnectedness, how things all are interconnected in a completely new way. And the second is perhaps, um, because I think we are inherently self-correcting systems, a sense of what we don't want, so that we then move more towards the values and the things that, and we care more about the values and things that we do want. Can, can you, uh, you repeat what you said at the beginning? Because I, was, I think it was very important that I wanted to say something there whether uh, the metaphor is still evolving and that yeah. we are we label it artificial intelligence but actually it's an extension yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other is about the sense of separation we're creating something that is separate from ourselves mm -hmm. and yet maybe if we embrace it and see it more holistically yeah yeah, yeah. exactly um, the, 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 it is usually said that science is uh, value free and agnostic as you mentioned but I think it's not in the sense that, um, in some sense, there is a, an exercise where you try to be objective, but you are framed in these metaphors of your conceptualizations. And uh, they drive what you do, and that affects the outcome and the, and, and the values in which these metaphors are operating. That means that, um, that it is interesting to see 
at looking with what I tried a little bit to explain the first of by looking at how we do AI research of how we think of ourselves. And as you said, if, if uh, uh, probably since we are surely not rational, autonomous, independent individuals, making artificial intelligence like that, at our image, at how we see ourselves, we are may have to change probably because we will have continue doing these autonomous, rational, individual entities that operate separately and uh, we don't have another different paradigm or metaphor in which we should develop this new artificial intelligence or this new technology. I don't know if it will be called like this or not. Um, I use this word because now it's a, a word that is very well known and people know exactly what is the kind of research done in this field, but it may not be the right word, maybe it will change or evolve, but yes, I completely agree that uh, a new level of metaphors or, or assumptions needs to be thought and the research done, the technological research needs to evolve as well as to embrace, and this is again another metaphor, the, this more holistic view, yes. And, um, and to achieve this is, is a little bit where I think the role of, of the contemplative dimension will be very important. And, and here's what I would like, will want to, to speak this afternoon. But yes, I completely agree that it has to evolve in a different direction. And we are still designing these entities as, individ as individual autonomous entities and maybe what is much more interesting to explore is this connection, relationship between uh, human beings, the environment, the technology that we use, etc. and to see it in this more holistic fashion. Thank you and, and just pick up very quickly, uh, following on that and what the lady was saying about Eastern philosophy. Um, <clears throat> perhaps we, and we, we'll probably address this this afternoon, um, should be to teach you the, the other end, <laughs> which is about um, how we are and our understanding of inherently, of things being inherently empty. Um, and therefore, anything is possible. So we, we don't have to bring all this other baggage because each time, and that's I guess the essence of meditation, that we're fresh and empty um, at moment by moment. Yeah, yes, that, that's it. And that will be something that I will talk about this afternoon. Precisely these contemplative practices like meditation are the ones that really help us to look through these metaphors and, and through our assumptions because they allow us to really uh, see them as metaphors only. And, and uh, this goes to what uh, Father Lawrence said at the beginning. And this is what computers still don't do. They do have this capacity of silencing that we have. And the, of silencing uh, our, our own of silencing and emptying them. So we don't have computers that meditate. 